Welcome to Mott 10 Sports in this May 4th, 2023 episode. I hope you're having a wonderful week. We wrapped up 2023, apologies, NFL draft. And it's never too early to start talking about next year's draft possibilities. I will give you the first player selected for every SEC team, in my opinion, heading into next season and into next year's draft. We had some no-brainers, and honestly, we had some tough calls. Went back and forth on some guys on some certain teams, but I'm going to give you those names. We also have a special guest, my friend and Auburn senior analyst on offense, Jesse Stone joins the show to discuss his role at Auburn and, Auburn and his thoughts on the Tigers he- heading into the summer. Then 247 Sports, Brad Crawford, who we've had on the show previously, came on with his 50 post-spring predictions in the SEC. I'll tell you some of the things I agree with and some I disagree with. Then we're heading into week eight of conference play on the diamond, and I will preview this upcoming weekend's action and where things stand from a postseason perspective. Heading in to the final three weeks, the last three game, last nine games of the regular season in SEC baseball before, I mean, Hoover is... Hoover's four weeks away. I mean, we'd be playing, we'd be getting ready to um, throw the first pitch probably later than this in about four weeks in about a month. Uh, we'll be playing some really late baseball into the night. You know what you're talking, you know what I'm talking about if you paid attention to the SEC tournament in Hoover. But first things first, as you know, I update you with the transfer portal start transfer portal starting off with football. TJ Finley has left Auburn. I guess again, he'd been in left before. He's in the portal. Uh, I don't know where he ends up, but he did enter the portal day. Auburn got a commitment from Michigan safety R.J. Moten. Uh, no, sorry, Florida guy. That's Florida. Florida got the commitment from Michigan safety R.J. Moten. That's a, it's, from a depth standpoint, that'll really help the Gators. That's Florida there getting the commit with R.J. Moten. From a basketball standpoint, a couple things. Teams that kind of uh, get hot right now is Ole Miss, Georgia kind of come to Ole Miss lost a commit from power forward Rashad Marshall requested to be out of his N, uh, NLI uh, which I know a lot of people get NIL, NLI mixed up. NLI stands for National Letter of Intent. That's in every uh, collegiate athletics sport. Believe me, I had to fill out 25 a year. Um, so he uh, Rashad Marshall, he's out. But that gives Ole Miss another spot to fill for Chris Beard's first team next year. They also received a commit from three-star center Cameron Barnes. I think he's ranked the 16th center, top center left available. He will be on the team next year. Uh, he was a high school kid. Georgia received a commit from South Florida transfer center Russell Chawia. Uh, average 11.1 points per game, 8.6 rebounds per game. The Bulldogs also got a commit from former Georgia Tech signee who asked out of his NLI as well. Top 50 recruit Blue Kane guard there for uh, Georgia. They'll be getting in. Still no update on Hunter Dickinson. I mean, Dickinson's roots are out of Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, Rumor mill possibilities maryland a little bit of a lesser extent georgetown's been thrown away uh around i saw kentucky doesn't feel that great about it anymore they didn't offer him rumor is anything specific uh in nil wise but they showed him the uh opportunities and the money the other guys on kentucky's team like oscar sheway and guys like that had made in case wallace this past year and the opportunities of what kentucky basketball can do for you from that standpoint i think dickinson kind of wants more of the sure thing um, his high school teammate also went is Justin Moore went to Villanova. So they're kind of in it too. Maryland, Georgetown, uh, Villanova, Kansas, Kentucky are mentioned. It sounds like Kentucky's not as close as some other guys. I mean, Hunter Dickinson, very good player. Remember, transferred from Michigan, one of the biggest brands, brand names in the sport. Uh, also failed to lead his team to anything significant with, uh, with two other first round draft picks on his NCAA tournament team. Uh, 
Oh, sorry, just with two first-round picks anyways of last year's NCAA tournament. Just never really did anything of note at Michigan. Kind of feels like the hype around Hunter Dickinson, the personality is starting to dwarf the player. I mean, what I'm saying is just the Hunter the personality is starting to dwarf Hunter the player. His personality outweighs how good he actually is as a player. Right? He's gonna be he's gonna be a weapon for somebody. He's gonna be a big get for somebody. Some of this though, where he's going to these barstool podcasts and stuff, and I get it. He's marketing himself. He's announcing an announcement on a podcast. Sounds like he's kind of taking this to the wire. I mean, if I had to guess, I think he probably ends up at Maryland. I could easily be wrong. That's just a total guess. Sounds like Kentucky is a little bit out of it. Uh, probably Maryland-Georgetown battle. But it seems like he's just kind of taking advantage of the situation. Hey, it's the nature of the beast with NIL now. It's it's the world we're in right now, right, to deal with it. Then finally, the name, final name of noteworthy is Grant Nelson from North Dakota State. The 6'11 forward averaged 17.9 points per game, 9.3 rebounds per game. Uh, as the SEC goes, he's heard from Kentucky, Alabama, Arkansas, LSU. I think Arkansas feels feels good right now. But it sounds like Nelson, Grant Nelson here, is really timid. He like he likes the NBA path right now, and then I think he'll circle back um, from that standpoint. But remember, from a transfer portal standpoint, um, the football one closed on the thirtieth. We still got basketball going here. Uh, they got to announce, I believe, with the, what I say, into end, end of June. They got May until the end of this month to announce what you want to do. Got the NBA draft combine. Some new, um, some new guys getting invitations to the NBA combine. Let's let's see if I can find it again. The transfer basketball transfer portal. I'm looking it up real fast while we're live on the show. Here we go. So for basketball, they need to. They need to. Uh, that's. Believe it is at the end of the month. When when's the last day to withdraw? Last day to withdraw from the basketball portal. We talked about it on a previous episode too. NBA announces draft withdrawal dates. Here it is. Of 21, but no, I believe it's at the end of the month, an exact date. I just don't want to sit here. We got, we got a lot of, we got some stuff to cover. I just don't want to sit here and us um, waste a bunch of time talking about that. But no, so we got a lot going on. Football portal's over. Uh, remember, you have uh, guys are still they can still commit elsewhere. Take OVs in football, like they just they had to get their name in by the by April 30th. The basketball basketball still is ongoing. Uh, some guys testing the water, testing the NBA waters, but also testing the transfer portal uh, waters as well. Uh, just like I was talking with Grant Nelson, the North Dakota State uh, transfer. So basketball still probably got another about another ugh, another month, um, and we will actually find out uh, the May thirty first. Yep, that'll be the eleven fifty nine on May thirty first is when we will find out. Uh, that's how who who's going where, what the real roster. You got about another month of this to really figure out who is going to be on your roster come summertime when these teams start uh, really polishing up the team, trying to figure out roles when they get some of these practices in the summer. Now, I don't think as many SEC teams are going to be uh, going to these European trips. That'll be interesting. But again, May thirty first. I didn't want to give you a wrong date. That's why I kept looking for it. But that's what I thought. We got really about another month. So it'll be interesting to get those days in here as we keep coming up on that. But moving, but moving on, 
But like I mentioned, never too early to talk a little draft. So I'm going to give you the top prospect heading into the 23 season from every SEC team, starting just alphabetically. With Alabama, I think it's Dallas Turner, edge outside linebacker. Turner had to share the spotlight with Will Anderson, as we all know, last year. He'll be the alpha pass rusher in Tuscaloosa in 23, 6'4", 240. Uh, Dallas Turner, if he can just keep ironing out those kinks, developing what he's got. He should be a top draft pick. For Auburn, I went with corner Nehemiah Pritchett. He was on professional radars this past season talking to some scouts. Auburn's new defensive staff should have plenty to work with to develop his skill with his speed and ball skills. I like Nehemiah Pritchett to be the first guy drafted as of this moment at Auburn. Arkansas, it's got to be Raheem Rocket Sanders running back. Raheem Sanders, a big bruising SEC back with the vision and temperament to translate easily to the program, in my opinion. Pro game, in my opinion. Sanders checks off almost every measurable that teams cover uh, covet. Florida, I'm going to go with defensive end. This is randomly because he's changing positions. I got this from inside the program. Prince Lee, Yuma Malian. Uh, Prince emerged late last season, nine and a half tackles for loss, four and a half sacks, five quarterback hurries, two forced fumbles. The move to the edge, like I mentioned, should free up the 6'5", 245-pounder pound, to make more plays, rushing the pack, pa- passer um, and pinning his ear back, ears back to get to the quarterback. Georgia, you know who, Brock Bowers, tight end. Teammate Darnell Washington went in the third. I see no way Brock Bowers gets out of the first unless it's injury, knock on wood. Kentucky, I went back and forth. Could have been J.J. Weaver, the outside linebacker, like I said. I told you on a couple teams I went back and forth. I went with Devin Leary, the NC State quarterback. Leary is one of 11 draft-eligible senior quarterbacks who received anywhere from fourth to seventh round draft grade last May but elected to return to college for the 23 season. Since then, Leary suffered a torn pectoral muscle that ended his 22 season early, but he returned to the field for Kentucky in the spring. Like I said, I mentioned J.J. Weaver. Devin Leary, though, if he could get going, Kentucky's sneaky there, pushing for that second for that second place finish in the East. LSU went with defensive tackle Mason Smith, coming off the knee injury uh, that he had in the second play of the game, first series against Florida State to open up the year last year. Highest ceiling on LSU's roster, which is saying a lot, so I'm going to go with Mason Smith having the bounce back here. Ole Miss went back and forth with some guys, but I went with Jackson Dart. Michael Trigg was another possibility. The tight end would probably identify more as a receiver in the NFL, but I thought Dart after the spring he just had. Uh, This honestly says more about where Ole Miss from an overall talent standpoint is, but I think with a good year, if he wins the job, he could go in that fourth, fifth round range, and I think as we stand right now, that is his best prospect is on the Ole Miss roster. That's the best prospect on Ole Miss's roster, in my opinion. And with the reports you hear from what he had in the spring, you may see a next step taken by Jackson Dart. Mississippi State, what my defense attack at Jaden Crumity, whenever he's healthy, I like him. Coming off injury, Crumity played in five, the final five games of the 2022 season and impressed. He recorded 15 tackles, five for a loss, and two sacks. Played a key part alongside Young and slowing down a potent Ole Miss running game in the Egg Bowl. If, if his jump in 22 is telling you what 23 could be, he will catch a lot of NFL personnel's eyes. Uh, Missouri, guy from down south Alabama, honestly. Chris Abrams Drain, cornerback, played a little nickel. Will be Missouri's best defender and got some buzz this past offseason. Another good season. I would be shocked if he is not the first top Missouri Tiger off the board. I like Chris Abrams Drain from Missouri to be the first Missouri Tiger off the board. South Carolina, oh man, went, went back and forth some. I'm, I went with Spencer Rattler, the former five star to high school, Heisman finalist. Uh, Heisman favorite going into the 21 season. Rattlers are primarily pack, pocket passer with great arm strength. 
finished the year strong last year, and he's capable of making plays on the on the move as well. Biggest concern with me, though, is just overall consistent decision-making and just football intelligence. A final college season will give him a shot to change that narrative, but I'm going to go with Spencer Rattler. Tennessee, a little random here. Offensive guard Javontez Spragans started every game at right guard for the Vols. Was really impressed with him against Alabama and LSU last year. Didn't give up a sack in either game. Watch out for Spragans this year. Uh, he, he could be a sleeper. I know offensive guard is not a hot commodity in the first round, but I'd be shocked if he was there after the second. Uh, Texas A&M's got to be defensive tackle Shamar Turner, a young buck that should springboard into a great player with uh, the development of his defensive line coach, Elijah Robinson. He comes in 6'4", 300, just powerful guy. Could probably do it all. Probably the most upside of any defensive lineman in the league. It's crazy to say because you probably hadn't heard about him, but he's just young. Take that next step. Develop this year. There's a lot there with that 6'4", 300-pound frame. Shamar Turner's who I am picking to go off the board first from Texas A&M. And then Vanderbilt. Probably receiver from the Covington area, Covington, Louisiana. Will Shepard went for 60 catches, 776 yards last year, nine touchdowns. If A.J. Swan, the quarterback, can continue to develop to get the ball to Shepard. If I were picking a Vanderbilt player to get drafted, it would either be Shepard or probably Kane Patterson, the Ohio State transfer. Nashville native went back, played well last year. Uh, but that, that would be it from the 14 teams right there. From Brad Crawford, I mean, uh, sorry, from uh, just my opinion of the 2020 Going into the 2024 draft class as we stand a week after. Uh, we're about a year out, obviously. Those are the guys. I just wanted to go through that exercise, study some of the tape. Those are the 14 guys off the 14 teams in the league. I would say that would go first from each team as we stand right now. Uh, Brad Crawford, remember he's been on the show before, 247 college football analyst, posted his post-spring SEC predictions. I'm going to give you some of the guy, things I agreed with and I disagreed with. He posted 50, so we're not going to go through all of them. But the ones I agreed with, he said at 47, multiple quarterbacks will start games for Florida. Speak, and this is what he said. Speaking of teams limited by quarterback play, well, he talked about Graham Mertz starting, maybe exiting the spring, but the leash will be short with him and Jack Miller will get a chance. At times this spring, the former Ohio State transfer and Jack Miller outshined um, the rest in a very razor-thin quarterback room. And I would agree with that. It would be hard to keep him off the field if the turnover bug bites Mertz and the Gators don't go portaling this summer. I'd agree with that. I, I, I Right now, I just can't see Florida being that good. And usually when you're going back and forth between quarterbacks in the middle of the year, you're not an overall great team. Uh, not saying there can't be an exception, but that's usually the rule there. I agree. I think Florida's going to play multiple quarterbacks this year. What he also said at 43 was – Auburn's rebuilt offensive line will lead to bowl eligibility. I mean, I agreed with this. He said, too much is made about the perceived lack of quarterback talent ahead of Hugh Freeze's first season. He made magic before at the position. He's talking about the quarterback position. And deserves the benefit of the doubt there in terms of development. When you consider Auburn's new offensive line, remember we talked about it last episode. They brought in three transfers. They're all supposed to start. Uh, the Tigers should be able to move the ball in the opposition this year. More on Auburn's quarterback situation in a bit. This is that, That's what Brad said. I agree. I think Auburn... Um, did a good. That's why I talked about where uh, Tyler Buckner should go before he announced going to Alabama. Is I thought if he was choosing between Auburn and Florida, I thought Auburn was the best situation because of the offensive line. Uh, so I think Auburn's offensive line does push their uh, floor up to six wins when you add in if they get the quarterback transfer Casey Thompson as well, who uh, the Texas transfer portal who I should have mentioned the other one I just had it listed right here but he's in the portal as well kind of looking like Auburn may trip some other places be interested to see where he goes but I think he does raise Auburn's ceiling a little bit from eight wins and I think the floor six wins uh, but Auburn's offensive line is going to be a major reason because of that uh, coming in at 40th the league's hottest coaching seats are going to be held in College Station and Gainesville 
I agree. I mean, big picture-wise, Jimbo Fisher, Billy Napier, you could throw in probably Columbia, Missouri with uh, Elijah Drinkowitz. But probably from an expectation standpoint, Jimbo Fisher and Billy Napier, Brad uh, says keep an eye on that week two game when Texas A&M travels to uh, second-year program uh, Miami with Mario Cristobal. So the Aggies will be interesting there. Napier's got to get it figured out short-term leash, especially when a lot of the transfer portal rumors about them requesting highlight tape. I've worked at college for 10 years. I've never heard of a team asking a kid for him to make his own tape from the portal to send. Usually you have PFF, and if you're not familiar with PFF, that's Pro Football Focus. Most teams subscribe to it. They have all the film from every week, and I could go pull up Dave Shoemate and all his plays in the run game, pass game, in 11 personnel, 12 personnel, 22 personnel, any of that. It's that to a science. I understand why you'd ask him to make a highlight. But again, Big seasons coming up, College Station and Gainesville. Uh, he mentioned, too, let's stop calling Alabama the favorite in the SEC West. And I agree right now. Not only did LSU show it was ahead of schedule in Brian Kelly's first season, but the Tigers also have fewer questions across the board heading into this upcoming season. LSU is the edge at most position groups and wasn't forced to replace both coordinators this offseason. He says staff continuity means a great deal in the SEC. I agree. I think right now LSU is the favorite in the West. I mean, I think objectively speaking, you would have to say that. I agree with him on that. Next, he says November decides both divisions. He thinks get your popcorn ready for LSU, Alabama, and Georgia, Tennessee this fall. I agree. It's going to come down to those four teams to who takes home the SEC West, SEC East. Uh, 32, Caleb Downs is a superstar in the SEC's most impactful true freshman. If you don't know who that is, true freshman safety from Alabama. They've compared him to Minka Fitzpatrick. I agree. We're going to hear about him a lot. It is going to be something similar to that from people I'm hearing in Tuscaloosa. Uh, the other one, the SEC fails to produce a Heisman finalist. I, I agree with that. I mean, quarterback, I don't know, maybe Carson Beck from Georgia would come out of nowhere. I don't know. But, I mean, I, you're going to have Caleb Williams probably there, Drake May, there's going to be someone out of nowhere. It wouldn't shock me if the SEC didn't have a Heisman finalist here. I agree with that one. Uh, two more of what I agree with. South Carolina finishes plus five or better in turnover margin. I do think with their new defensive coordinator, Clayton White, they're going to stress that point. That they need to take get a bunch of more takeaways. Like we say now, you're not just going to stop people in college football. You, you have to force some turnovers, give your offensive some extra possessions. Um, but they were minus four in turnover margin, haven't been plus five or better since 2017. I think it will be a much more aggressive defense. I agree with them. And the last one I agree with, the SEC continues its reign as national champion. I think it is going to come down to Alabama, LSU, Georgia, uh, and then from outside the conference, Ohio State or Michigan. I really think that's what it's going to be. I don't think USC is still ready for that in the trenches yet. I do think the SEC is going to win a national championship. Georgia's regular season schedule, they're going to go 12-0 most likely. 11-1 at worst. They'll be in the playoffs. And then at that point, they just got to win two games. I'm just talking about Georgia by itself. I'm not even talking about LSU or Alabama. I do think the SEC is going to win again. I agree with him. Things I don't agree. Three of them. Georgia finishes outside the top 15 in total defense this year. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, they may take a step back a little bit, but I think the secondary, the safety is going to be really good. I, Georgia's going to finish in the top 10 in total defense. I don't agree with that one. Uh, late arriving NFL draft buzz surrounding KJ Jefferson is warranted. Uh, I, I, Danny knows could develop. I just don't think KJ Jefferson's an NFL quarterback. It's just one man's opinion. I don't think it's going to be that warranted. Um, I need to see a lot more to really feel from this upcoming season. That's not a KJ Jefferson thing. That's a Dave thing. It's a Mach 10 sports thing. I just have to see a little bit more from a progression development. And I'm excited to see it because from Dan Enos' pro style set compared to what he was doing with Kendall Bryles next last year, two totally different things. He's going to become a better quarterback in this pro style set. I'm just worried Dan Enos may put a lot on him and, 
And then when he's interviewing with these NFL teams, people are going to say, hey, he struggled, or he's going to show, hey, I struggled with learning a bunch of terminology that I didn't have to know under Kendall Bryles, if that made sense. Because Enos is going to make him get under center, make checks. He's going to have to learn a lot. And maybe he puts a lot on his quarterbacks from people I've heard. You hear that conversation a little bit with Jesse and I as we get into that conversation here in a bit. And then finally, the last one I don't agree with is the, the league's longest home winning streak ends. And he's talking about Alabama enters the season with the SEC's longest home winning streak at 20 games, which happens to be the longest in the country among Power 5 teams and dates back to Joe Burrow coming into Bryant-Denny and outdoing Tua Tagovailoa. That was Alabama's last loss in, uh, at home in the SEC was that 2019 LSU team and Joe Burrow. Bama gets Texas, Tennessee, and LSU all at home. He thinks they lose one of those games. I don't. Georgia's right on Alabama's heels at second at 18. I, I don't think Alabama loses a home game because you got to think Alabama's. What have they lost five to five six home games in the Saban era? They they haven't lost a lot. It usually takes some elite quarterback, uh, exceptional play between a Cam Newton, a Joe Burrow, a Johnny Manziel. Uh, Chad Kelly saw a really good college player, just a freak. I mean, Alabama turned it over five times that year in 2015 against Ole Miss and still almost won the game. So it almost has to be something out of the ordinary or an extraordinary performance by a quarterback. Uh, but those were just the points. I thought it was a great article by Brad Crawford, who's been on our show before. But I just wanted to go through some of those. I didn't want to go through all 50, but wanted to talk about some I agreed with and some I disagreed with. But now let's transition. I promised you our guest today, Jesse Stone. Uh, let's go to our guest on today's show, and he's one of, like I said earlier, my good buddies in the college football industry, Jesse Stone, who is currently at Auburn, is the head offensive analyst for Hugh Freeze. Jesse's had a great career so far. He's been all around the SEC. Um, between He's working in his alma mater, Arkansas, Georgia, for four or five years from the beginning when Kirby Smart was there. I think he was there from 2016 to 18. Uh, and I thought he would just be someone great to bring on and give the fans some perspective as a support staff member in the Southeastern Conference. Here's that conversation with Jesse and I. Like I mentioned earlier in the episode, we have a fantastic guest today, Auburn assistant coach and senior offensive analyst, one of my buddies in the industry, Jesse Stone is with us. Jess, what's up, man? How's everything going on the Plains? Dave, what's going on, man? I appreciate you having me on. No, all thanks is for good here, on. man. Yeah, all is good here. Just getting settled in and but everything is going well, bro. So, Jeff, I feel like you have a unique story. I feel like you've been all around the league. So, just for the guys, the listeners out there, just give them a little background where you've been, all the places you've worked, just how you got started in the industry and where you're at today. Yeah, so um, I played high school quarterback. I, I grew up in Little Rock, went to a high school called Little Rock Christian Academy. And um, and uh, after that, I went to Arkansas Tech for a season and then went to Hutch Juco for a season. And really kind of coaching started for me when I was at that at Hutch Juco. So um, in fall camp, I broke my foot, so I couldn't play that season. And uh, the offensive coordinator there at the time, his name was Tommy Mangino. And um, I said, Coach Mangino, I'm not going to sit in Hutch, Kansas and just not do anything. You know, after my foot broke, I'm like, how can I help serve you? Is there, you know, what can I do to help, you know, whatever it may be, putting in data, signaling, stuff like that. So. During my sophomore season at Hutch Juco, I broke my foot and helped him do that. And then after that season, I was awarded a scholarship at Wachita Baptist, went down there for a year. And a year later, after being a Wachita coach, Mangino calls, and he's actually a graduate assistant at Arkansas. And he calls, he said, Jesse, you know, you know, would you be at all interested in being a student assistant up here? So I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm a backup quarterback at a D2 school. Um, and 
you know, it's, you know, I was, so it was, you know, it was kind of that time where my time at Hutch, I really enjoyed my time helping and helping coach Mangino. So got the opportunity, went to Arkansas and was there for two seasons. Uh, um, Brett Bielema was the head coach and, and Jim Chaney was offense coordinator in 2014 and Dan Enos was offense coordinator in 2015. And, uh, after those two seasons, I uh, was fortunate enough to go to Georgia and be a graduate assistant for three seasons. Um, Jim Chaney was given the, he, you know, he was the offense coordinator at Georgia at the time. Um, spent three seasons there as a graduate assistant, working with the quarterbacks and the tight ends. And then um, Dan Enos got the offense coordinator job at Miami in 2019. Um, my three years was up as a graduate assistant, um, kind of, figuring out whether I had an opportunity to stay at Georgia or go, go on to Miami. And, you know, Miami looked like a, a great opportunity to go, go there as a quality control. So I went to University of Miami, was there for a season. The offensive staff got fired after that season. Sam Pittman, who was O-line coach at Arkansas when I was there and O-line coach at Georgia when I was there, he had just gotten a head coaching job at Arkansas. And um, so he hired me on and it was kind of a, it's kind of a two split role, uh, it was a head coach analyst type deal, but it was also personnel on offense. So um, was there just for a season. And then uh, Gus Malzahn at UCF uh, called and offered me a job as an offensive analyst working with the quarterbacks. So I went down there in the 2021 season. Um, after a season of being there, um, a good friend of mine, Tanner Burns, who was a special teams coordinator at Liberty, he uh, – he was also at Arkansas in 2014 and 15 when I was there. He reached out and said, hey, man, would you be at all interested in coming up here and being an analyst at, at Liberty and working with the quarterbacks? And, you know, Hugh Freeze, Liberty football, I mean, I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, watching his, you know, he and I are good friends and stay in touch. So, you know, oftentimes, you know, Wednesdays and Thursdays and, and Fridays and you know, Sunday evenings, you know, he had a lot of time with his family and my, my wife, Haley, and I just had our first daughter, Sailor. And so, um, it became more, 10 times more important for me to have, have time with my family and being able to support my wife better. And Hugh Freeze allowed that quality of life. So it was a no brainer to go to Liberty, um, and be on that staff. And I was there for, um, really six and a half, seven months. Coach Freeze got the job at Auburn and you know, now I'm here in, in a similar role that I had at Liberty. So, um, obviously incredibly grateful for all the stops and the people along the way. And, you know, um, it, it, it's been a fun journey, but would love to be able to sit down here at Auburn for some time and, you know, just help build Auburn, you know, with our staff and serve our players and coaches. But, it, you know, I wouldn't change it. It's been a lot of moving, but incredibly grateful to be in the situation that I'm in. No, absolutely. And just, I think everybody, uh, I mean, I've lived it too. I think it does make a big difference on your staff. And I think you've worked on numerous staffs, probably some staffs that gave you more time with your family, uh, more personal time than others, obviously. And you speaking on Coach Freeze, you uh, hearing your buddy Tanner talk about the family time on Thursdays and beyond that he got at Liberty working with Coach Freeze. Like how important is you Moving forward, when you become a head coach, are you going to take that into perspective for the for your staff in the future? Yeah, good question. So just to kind, is, just to kind of get free, you know, just to kind of be a cami, yeah. you can as you, as you know, dude, you can wear your staff out. Like, and then right. they're not come November; those guys are just 
brain dead and zombies walking around the building. Right. Um, yeah, time is our most valuable asset. So um, how we spend our time, um, I, I, part of it for me is I've throughout the course of my short career, I've noticed lots of coaches and families and dynamics from afar in, in regards to how much time they spend with their kids. And um, I think it's imperative that, that when I become a head coach that I give my coaches time to time to be with their family, because um, the world that we live in now, it's more and more important for us, for us as fathers. And, you know, obviously wives in the industry too, that we pour into our children um, and are, are there for them. So, I mean, I, a lot to say a little, I mean, I, it, it's imperative. It, I mean, it'll be of most priorities that we get our work done and get out. And nowadays with zoom and phone calls, and we don't have to sit up at the office to get our work done. Um, we'll set expectations, we'll have responsibilities and we're going to get our work done and we can do it, you know, through technology and through different ways. But, you know, sitting up at the office anymore, just to say that we're up there is I think going on the wayside, like, let's be productive. Let's get our work done and get out. And if it costs till 2 a.m. some nights, that's, and that's what you got to do. But by all means, if you're there at 2 a.m. every night, then you're, you're an idiot as opposed to smart. You're, you're exactly. up and as you know, not even just in college football in every industry in the world out there, everybody has their busy seasons. It's just like what you said, there's going to be some nights you're going to have to be up there burning the midnight oil. There are people all over the world do that for certain periods of time. But like you said, that's just not sustainable for 365 days a year. It's just, it's just not, it's not sustainable. And it's like a mean use talk about, I mean, you gotta be, you gotta work smarter, not harder at times. Like you said, we live in the 21st century. We put a tin, we put a man in a tin can, put him on the moon in the sixties. You're telling me we can't do some stuff to prioritize, prioritize some family and also get stuff done around the office, but transitioning just kind of to your role right now, specifically at Auburn, like what is, I feel like people do know they always have the, there's a ton of these support staff roles all over the country. I feel like Alabama kind of laid the landmark of that kind of carried over to Georgia with Kirby Smart, who obviously you worked with. What is your, what is the day-to-day role or what is the role you would say for a senior analyst, just like specifically at Auburn, just in general, just to give people some insight? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, anything from scattering reports to cut-ups to data input to self-scout to our recruiting cut-ups, you know, these are all things that we do as a support staff. And, um, what I do is, you know, there's say there's 15 things that need to be done for the scout report. We divvy those out amongst our staff, support staff, and, you know, give them their responsibilities of that part of the scout report. And um, so that, that's part of it is just kind of divvying up the work that we have as a support staff and collectively holding each other accountable for those things and making sure that, that they get done on time. And, you know, hey, where's this cut up or where's that? Um, everybody knows where it's at because we've all been trained in the system. So, um, but just fluidity of the support staff and our roles and responsibilities and the stuff that happens behind the scenes and, you know, just making sure that we're crossing our T's and dotting our eyes on all the things that need to be done. You know, Hey, did you remember to get the TV copy of last year's game or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, making sure that those bases are covered. So, um, and then um, just, when we kind of get into opponents, more initial game plan thoughts, you know, what are they doing versus 
different things and from a football perspective and you know being able to add value as fast as i can on a sunday morning when they start to dive into a team so moving forward obviously i asked you previously how you'd handle just uh, time from a head coaching standpoint when you take over you when you move over to get a head coaching job at some point but what are some skills knowledge for not even specifically for you for someone maybe who's listening that ultimately wants to get into coaching maybe take that step as being an analyst what are some skills knowledge you think it takes to be very good at that job specifically in the sec yeah i think um some things that add value to these coaches is being able to identify um, identify evaluate recruit um and you know see the game and be right you know if you're sitting in the box on the sideline you know you should have watched enough tape or have spent enough time on the on the team to see the see the game and be right and add value in that and then obviously the the stuff that is you know the the programs that we use x's and you know x xos and um and uh you know all the microsoft office tools but bottom line is is in 2014 and 15, when I was a student assistant, what I remember in those times is that I was I served our players and coaches like in a way that it didn't like I like I went and got Jim Cheney lunch every day. Like that's just what I did. And I took pride in it and I did a great job and I never messed up his order. Like that was my role at that time. So whatever my roles are, I just do the best I can to serve our coaches and add value to them so that they can have more and more success. Absolutely. No, it's like you said, taking on, Hey, like this, uh, you're, it's like we used to talk about, it's like you said, this is your role in this moment right now. Like be the best, like what Nick Saban has the quote, they like, talking about it, be the best janitor or whatever you're doing at just in life in general, just you should focus on the task at hand every day of being the best in that profession or whatever you're specifically doing. Right. But Jess, Obviously, you've worked with some really good coaches. I mean, honestly, I'm not even blowing smoke up your ass as a friend here. I'm just saying, I could, from probably from an SEC analyst standpoint, I mean, you got to be on the Mount Rushmore Hall of Fame. You got to I be mean, looking at you've worked with Sam Pittman uh, in Arkansas. You worked with Kirby Smart at Georgia. You were at Georgia for what, four or five years? Yeah, three. Four, three. Uh, Hugh Freeze now at Auburn. Uh, Gus Malzahn, who was at Auburn for a long time. You worked with some really good coaches out here. Tell me, what are some qualities you think you will take? when you leave them to go run your own show that make them as successful as they are and have been? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, coach freeze, I mean, he cultivates positive change quickly. Um, I mean, he tells people the truth and sometimes they may not want to always want to hear the truth, but he does. And um, he does a great job capturing the minds and hearts of, of the players through real conversation. Um, that's one thing that's, stood out to me about him and then you know coach smart he, he i mean he's relentless he leaves no stone unturned he's extremely thorough he sets expectations and holds you know every department accountable um and uh you know for for coach Pittman, you know he's kind of got a swagger and charisma about him that attracts players and their families um you know they start to believe in him and, and so by believing in someone they play hard for him um and he gets to know those people on a personal level but you know, all, you know, those coaches have, I mean, Brett Bielema was also at Arkansas at those times. I mean, he is, he, he's a phenomenal coach. And Dude, you mentioned, and you mentioned Jim Chaney a couple of times and he wouldn't even what I just said. It's just, he was a core offensive coordinator. It sounds like he had a big impact on your career. Yeah. I mean, 
all those guys. I mean, I, I'm, I'm indebted to them for the opportunities they gave me. Um, they're, they're phenomenal football coaches, men of, men of integrity and character. And, in you know, I, I look, I look forward to the day that one of them wants to give me a full-time position coaching job. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. You got to give me something here though, from an overall standpoint for the Auburn listeners on here, just Spring practice thoughts. Uh, what do you think of the roster when y'all got there? To what you do now? Obviously, you can't tell me too much, and we're not going to make you do that. But just some thoughts for the Auburn listeners. They can little take some nuggets heading into spring when they're uh, reading their uh, fall review at Lake Martin. Yeah, no, I think the thing that stands out is the the players here are a great group of young men. I mean, they've they've worked hard. They've taken coaching. Um, <clears throat> you know the way that. Auburn finished last year with Cadillac, I mean, is, is, is kind of what coach freeze in terms of cultivating positive change quickly. I mean, that's, I mean, coach freeze is instilling a culture here that, um, that will put a product on the field that fans will be excited about. So what that looks like, you know, I don't, I don't know, but um you're going to have a team out there that's going to play their tails off for the staff and for the state and for this, for the, for the Auburn Tigers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if anything uh, should make Auburn fans excited, it was the first season Hugh Freeze had at Ole Miss where, I mean, they were inheriting a terrible roster there, but ended up winning six games overachieving. I think won their bowl game to get to seven. So I expect some kind of improvement like that from Auburn this year. But before we get you out of here, Jess, I mean, you talked a little bit about it off, uh, off air. We're recording this on, 425-23. I've seen on Twitter a lot, a bunch of Razorback Nation, Arkansas fans out there celebrating this. And if you don't know, it's the 4th and 25 from the 2015 Ole Miss-Arkansas game that uh, Arkansas converted uh, a lateral, am I correct here, Jesse, to uh, Alex Collins, picked up about 30. Arkansas went for two, ended up winning the game. Uh, I say that because Jesse was on that staff, if you've been listening, back in 2015. He was on the sideline signaling in. I wanted him to walk us through this before he gets off the show. Remember, I'm recording this on 425. You will be listening to this next Tuesday. But on the day we talked about this, it was the anniversary, and I want my guy here to walk us through the exact play that kept the Ole Miss Rebels from heading to Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, really it was an incredible heads-up play by Hunter Henry. I mean – Brandon Allen was close to getting sacked. He realized that, hey, I got to get the football off. Nobody's open downfield. He throws it to Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry knows he's not getting the first down and just has the, I mean, just a great heads up play by a really smart football player, tosses it back. You know, luckily gets tipped by a skipper and lands right into Collins' breadbasket. And, you know, the way that team played is, you know, you can watch that play. The guys without the football never quit. And, uh, and so that was a testament to to that staff and how they coach, but uh, playing without the football. But as soon as Alex got that ball, he was able to get the first down. And, and uh, but um, it was just a really good heads up play by Hunter. Yeah, that, that was unbelievable. Like we talked about, too, I think people always forget, too, about Arkansas went for two immediately, got stopped, but face mask call gave them another chance. And they ultimately got in and the Razorbacks won that game. But, Jess, I appreciate you joining us, man. It's been a lot. Great interview. Uh, hell, I mean, I'll come down this fall and stay with y'all. Hopefully, go to an Auburn game. But again, Jess, one of my best friends in the industry. I appreciate you joining us, brother. I appreciate you, Dave. A lot of fun. You the man. Keep it up. I appreciate Jesse taking the time out of his day to join us and give us some perspective on what the day-to-day and the rules 
of a key support staff member in the Southeastern Conference are. I know we all appreciated that conversation. Uh, but now let's get to it. Let's get to some baseball as we head into week eight of conference play, just running through the standings as we head into the final nine games of conference play. Starting with the SEC East, Vanderbilt coming in in 16-5 and five in conference. South Carolina coming in in second place at 14-6. and six. Florida in third place at 14-7. and seven. A little bit of a gap here. Kentucky comes in at 11-10, and 10, tied with Tennessee at 11-10. and 10. Then you got Georgia coming in in fifth at 8-13, and 13th, and Missouri sitting 8-13 for Georgia. Missouri coming in at 5-16, three games back in last place in the East. Moving to the SEC West, LSU's got a comfortable lead right now with a two-game lead, really a three-game lead over Arkansas with a tiebreaker with them getting the head-to-head tiebreaker over Arkansas. But again, LSU in first place at 15 and 5, Arkansas in second place at 14 and 7, Alabama, Auburn, and Texas A&M um, all sitting there at 9 and 12, tied for third. Uh, Mississippi State sitting there for fourth, uh, or fourth through sixth at 6 and 15, and Ole Miss sitting at and last at 5 and 16. Uh, regional projections: D1 baseball came out with theirs today, updating you got. Five number one seats in the SEC, LSU, Vandy, South Carolina, Florida, and Arkansas, all hosting as number one seeds. Then we got Tennessee coming in as a two seed, Kentucky coming in as a two seed, Alabama coming in as a three seed, Auburn coming in as a three seed, Texas A&M coming in as a three seed, and Georgia is the last team in right now. Georgia is the last team in, according to D1 Baseball. Uh, that is... The last team into the tournament. I'm trying to pull up the whole regional for you right now, just so we can give you the super regional matchups. Uh, the baseball regional projections. It's always kind of my. This is always my favorite time of year because we're getting that much close. The, these these games are getting that much more important uh, week to week. But so we got the 64 team tournament. Yep. So out of the SEC right now, the the super regional teams would be LSU would be a top eight seed, Vandy. And South Carolina right now would be the the three seeds or the seeds from the SEC right now that would be hosting uh, regional play and all over the place. And the rest of them will travel. Uh, but again, I think you got some teams. You got some teams like Tennessee who I think could really play themselves in to uh, hosting a regional. I, I mean, I really think that could be a team that hosts a regional if they can just continue to play well. They get Georgia this week, but. Like I mentioned, you got LSU as the number one overall seed. Uh, next highest seed of the SEC would be Vanderbilt, the number three overall seed. South Carolina comes in at four. Uh, then Arkansas, sorry, I mentioned them. They're, they'd be a top eight seed as well. They're coming in at five. Florida, sixth. So that's what you got right there is you got, what do we got? We got in the SEC, LSU's one, Vanderbilt two, South Carolina three, Arkansas four, and we got Florida five. So we got five out of the eight teams in the top eight would host super regionals. And really with that, uh, the only team that's not the top eight seed right now would be all would really all the teams that are hosting eight seeds right now. So that's it's really impressive right now. Does it stay that way? I don't know. I think Tennessee can move themselves up to potentially play for a host. Kentucky, but their schedule's hard. Alabama does not need to get swept this week. They got swept against Alabama LSU this past week, but they're still in because they're strong RPI and their midweek action. I think Alabama could get maybe to a host if they finish really well in these last nine, but real goal should be get to a two seed. Auburn getting a big series win last week against South Carolina. That helped them move into the tournament number three. Texas A&M uh, hanging in there. 
Really coming into the three seed, they dropped the series last week. That was a real. That, that was a tough, tough, tough. Uh, yeah, they really, they really needed. They needed that series. They, they, they really did. The problem is just the overall consistent pitching. Just the, just the overall consistent pitching. Uh, it's just not there week to week for Texas A and M. I don't know what the issue is this year. This la- this time last year, they were really peaking, um, and then. At Arkansas, just played really bad. Just got swept last week. Lost on Thursday, seven to five. Uh, lost on Friday, ten to four. And then lost a close one on Saturday at Arkansas. Or a Saturday game three eight seven. They head to Florida this week. Um, so that's where the SEC heads right now. Heading in a little midweek review. Ole Miss got a 12-10 win over Little Rock on Tuesday. Florida got the big in-state win over Florida State and Jacksonville, 7-5. Georgia got a 10-9 win over Kennesaw State. Tennessee remains hot, getting a 13-3 win over a solid Wofford team. Missouri won the border bat war against Kansas, 9-7. Missouri got that win. Vanderbilt got an 11-5 win over Georgia State. Arkansas got a took an L. Lipscomb beat them in Little Rock, 8-6. Texas A&M beat Tarleton State, 6-5. And LSU went to Hammond and got a 10-0 win over Southeastern. This weekend's re, uh, this weekend's schedule starting today as we're talking right now. You got two series starting today. You got Vanderbilt at Alabama. It's pretty critical. And then you got Ole Miss at Missouri. Those will start on Thursday, go through Saturday. The rest of the league got Tennessee at Georgia. Interesting series here. Tennessee, do they keep playing well? I think Tennessee goes and gets two out of three. They're playing that well right now. I think they got the best rotation, best pitching staff right now in the league. I like them. I think Tennessee's ultimately going to host a regional. I think Tennessee gets two out of three in Athens. South Carolina, thirteenth number three ranked. South Carolina has a number 15th ranked Kentucky. I think South Carolina bounces back from the Auburn series loss at home and gets two out of three against the Cats. I think the Cats, with their just just a tough stretch down the road, just a tough stretch to end the year. I mean, we're talking about it right now. I know we're talking about this weekend specifically, but last nine games are tough. I mean, you got South Carolina, Tennessee, at, at Tennessee, and then Florida to end the year. I mean, their last five series, whoo! I mean, last really seven at LSU. They already played A and M at Bandy. Like we're talking about South Carolina this week at Tennessee and Florida in the year. Ooh, it's tough. If the Cats host a regional, they will have earned it. I think South Carolina gets two out of three though. Ole Miss at Missouri. Uh, I think the Rebs go in. I think they got something from last week. I think Ole Miss goes in his two out of three in Columbia, Missouri this weekend. Uh, Florida at Texas A&M. I like the Gators. Too. I don't think Texas A&M gets it right this week. Sets up a massive series next week, though, to really kind of hammer down who's going to get that regional bid between A&M and Alabama and College Station at Bluebell Park next week. Uh, but, again, I think Florida goes to College Station, gets two out of three. LSU at Auburn. Place probably rocking the way Auburn's marketing it. It's the first time the Eagle will fly to a baseball game for whatever reason. Uh, but LSU, just that kind of team this year. Their, pit, their bullpen really does concern me because they scored, what, 34 runs against Alabama this past weekend. Alabama scored 26. I mean, Alabama should have won one of those games. And you could have made a case they could have won two out of three against LSU. Cause Alabama, I mean, even Jay Johnson said Alabama's got an Omaha offensive team. I think Jay Johnson knows his bullpen is going to concern him when they get away from Baton Rouge, maybe even when they host their Super Regional. If they get that far in a series, it'll hurt them more so than I think regional play, if that makes sense. That makes sense because you're going to play. Because LSU should probably win their first two games. They would save Skeens, I would assume, in that winner's bracket game. I know people kind of go back and forth. We're getting ahead of ourselves. But if I'm Jay Johnson, I'm not pitching Paul Skeens against a four seed. Save him for that winner's bracket against two or three. I think LSU sets up well with this staff they got right now to survive regional. 
Super regional playing a quality team, best out of three series. Who knows? I think they have to get the bullpen and get another consistent starter after Skeens. I do think they get two out of three against Auburn this weekend because I think LSU is just going to hit really well uh, and outscore Auburn. I think LSU gets two out of three. Arkansas at Mississippi State. Like Arkansas to go to duty Novo, get two out of three. And then Vanderbilt at Alabama. Um, call me crazy. I think Alabama wins two out of three. I don't know why. It's just a pure field guess. I've told every week I usually have some random upset. Not because I just want to make a take a hot take. It's just a feel. And you know, baseball's day-to-day. We like last week, nobody expected Alabama's Luke Coleman, their Friday ace starter, to come out and uh not pitch against LSU against Paul Skeens, which led to the betting scandal, which again, I think that's a big nothing. I know we're a little off schedule here, uh, and I'm trying to get you out of here, but I think that was just a, man, call me crazy that someone would put a bet on LSU on a Friday night game at home against a team in in Alabama that LSU's better than with a top four MLB draft pick come June and Paul Skeens and Alabama's ace being out against a a random Ohio sports book. Interesting take there. But, again, I think Tennessee wins their series this week, takes two out of three against Georgia. South Carolina gets a big road series win. I think Ole Miss goes and gets a big road series win. I think it's going to be the weekend of the road teams. I think Florida gets a road series win. LSU gets a road series win. Arkansas. I think Alabama is going to be the only home team to hold serve. Call me crazy. Out of the seven series, the Crimson Tide is going to hold serve. You hold it here. For, you heard it here first. But we had a fantastic episode really fun we had jesse stone senior offensive analyst for the auburn tigers Hugh freezes first season on the plains he joins us talks auburn tigers talks coaching philosophy what his role is day-to-day in these massive recruiting departments in the sec uh we talked a little college basketball transfer portal college football transfer portal wrapped up where are these guys going now we got nine games left in the college baseball season where are these teams going to go? We reviewed Brad Crawford's post-spring thoughts. Thought he had some good thoughts, some thoughts I didn't necessarily agree with. And again, it's never too early to talk draft. I projected every team's first draft pick coming in the 2024 draft. Again, I appreciate you joining us on this episode of Mock 10 Sports. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Keep following us on Mock 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.